Hello, and welcome to the FUMC Borough Podcast. My name is Ben Shaw, the Director of Modern Worship and Media here at the church. And this week, we have a message that is being brought to you by Reverend Drew Shelley, our senior pastor. The title of his sermon is Instructions to Disciples, Blessings on the Poor, and Woes on the Rich. This is our first sermon in our new series, Discipleship in the Eyes of Jesus, A Journey Through Galilee. He's preaching from the text, Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through 36. We appreciate you joining us here on the podcast. We would also love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 8.30 a.m. for Modern Worship or 10.30 a.m. for Traditional Worship. Both of those services are offered virtually via our website, Facebook, and YouTube, or in person. Head on over to fumcm.org for more information about our safety protocols if you choose to join us in person. We are so glad that you have chosen to be in ministry here with us at First United Methodist Church of Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And we pray that we can all live into our mission of growing disciples of Jesus Christ who know him, love him, and serve him for the transformation of Murfreesboro and the world. Good morning, sisters and brothers. I'm Drew Shelley, one of the pastors here at First United Methodist Church of Murfreesboro, and I'm so excited to be starting a new worship and preaching series with you today. It's called Discipleship in the Eyes of Jesus, A Journey Through Galilee. We'll be in Luke's gospel for the next five weeks and actually beyond, but we'll be looking at what Jesus said about discipleship. Nobody ever said following Jesus was easy. But there is a simplicity to it that challenges us so much. So, over the next five weeks, uh, we'll be considering our modern understanding of discipleship through the lens of some tough things that Jesus said. Today, we begin in Luke chapter 6 with Luke's version of what we call the Beatitudes. Let's pray together before we hear that gospel reading. Oh Lord, we give you thanks that you are with us wherever we are that you bind us together across time and space in your Holy Spirit. We pray now for that Holy Spirit to move in a powerful way that we might truly hear from you and be in your presence this day as we worship, as we open your scriptures, and listen carefully to what you say to us. We thank you that you always answer that prayer. You are so faithful, and we offer that prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we begin with Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through 26 today. Let's hear the word of God together. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place, thus the Sermon on the Plain, as this is called in Luke's gospel, with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. Then They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. Then he looked up at his disciples, at his disciples, and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. 
Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap in heaven, for surely your reward is great in heaven. For that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. This is the word of God for the people of God, and so we say, thanks be to God. Today, as I mentioned a few moments ago, we begin a journey deeper into Luke's gospel We're looking to understand intentional discipleship through the eyes of Jesus, to consider what Jesus teaches us about what it means to follow Jesus on purpose. Luke's gospel is so helpful because of the clear picture he paints of the reign of God, of how things will be in the kingdom of God. But we always have to remember the already and not yet nature of this work. The kingdom of God has already come in Jesus. Scripture is clear about that. Scripture is also clear that it is not yet here in its fullness. That gets complicated and messy in this in-between time in which we live. But Luke helps us have clear vision as we poke our way through that mess. Complicated and messy can sometimes seem like ambiguity, can't it? There is a lot of ambiguity in our faith. The sooner we get comfortable with that, the sooner we can relax into life with God that is healthy and whole and vibrant. Ambiguity certainly keeps life interesting. However, I have discovered that ambiguity in the home of a four-year-old is a recipe for conflict and many tears. If I don't say precisely what I mean to our Annabelle, She will navigate her little self through all the loopholes I didn't even know I left open. (laughs) Here's bedtime at our house. It might be like this at your house, too. Now, you would think that all you need to say is, Annabelle, in just a few minutes, we're going to brush our teeth and go to bed. You'd think that'd be sufficient. It is not sufficient. When I try that and let a few minutes pass by and then say, okay, let's go, There is weeping and gnashing of teeth all the way up the stairs. We get to the sink upstairs. You said I could brush my teeth downstairs. Annabelle, I did not say that. You didn't not say that. Oh, my goodness. So we go downstairs. We brush our teeth. The brakes come on again. I want mommy to put me to bed. I'm putting you to bed. You didn't didn't say that. (laughs) I have to say exactly what I mean. When I'm on my game, it goes like this. Sweet Annabelle. In exactly three minutes, we're going upstairs to brush our teeth, put on our pink nightgown, read three books, say our prayers, and Daddy is going to put you to bed. Even when I'm that precise, you still can see the wheels turning to see if any ambiguity is there and if I left any loopholes open. The more I study the scriptures and the history of our faith, the more I recognize this very human desire to introduce ambiguity to the hard teachings of Jesus, to create little loopholes through which we might navigate ourselves to to get what we want, to create God in our own image, or to create a faith world in which there is always enough of God's grace and love to shield us from the hard call of the gospel on our lives. We spiritualize things to soften the edges. Luke 
spares us from that temptation. Luke chucks it on down to the cob for us. In Luke's sermon on the plain, there is no ambiguity. There are no loopholes in what Jesus says. The grace of God is lavished upon the whole world, but it does not protect us from the hard call of the gospel, which is life-changing, beautiful, and so very challenging. What we preachers have made ambiguous over the years, Luke makes crystal clear. God is always to be found working for and living with the actual poor and oppressed, whoever they are, whenever it is. And there is coming a great reversal. You can go read Luke 14. There's coming a great reversal in which the last shall be first and the first shall be last. This is not in spirit. It is in actual fact, according to Jesus. Listen to what he says. Blessed are you who are currently poor, for yours is right now the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, leave you out, and talk bad about you on account of Jesus. Rejoice, leap for joy, for your reward is great in heaven. If Luke had just stopped there, we could still have introduced some ambiguity to soften his meaning enough to make it palatable. But he continues with the woes, a word of judgment which brings grief and remorse. Woe to you who are rich for you have already received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everybody speaks well of you, for that's what they did to all the false prophets. My goodness, what do we do with this? We, almost to a person, are rich, full, laughing, and well-spoken of. Our culture teaches us that this is what it means to be blessed, rich, full, laughing, well-spoken of. Jesus says, no, this is what it means to have missed the point. The great problem we face in the American church in this 21st century is that our wealth, abundance, and comfort isolate us from God and the rest of our human family. What emerges from that is a, a false kind of Christianity that sees wealth as a sign of God's blessing, and poverty as a sign of God's judgment on lazy people. To be crystal clear, that is the exact opposite of what Jesus teaches and a horrible perversion of the gospel. Thank goodness we have Jesus' very clear warning here. But I wonder, what do we do with it? I'm a 40-year-old man in a position of great influence with more formal education than most of the world's population, three paid-for cars, a fine home, some rental property, and a pontoon boat. It's old and raggedy, but it still floats. I am rich, full, laughing, and well-spoken of. What do I do with Jesus when he says, woe to you, Drew Shelley, woe to you? Could it be sell all you have, give the money to the poor, come and follow me? It could be that. Could it be Zacchaeus? Lord, I will pay back four times that which I have earned by taking advantage of people, and I will give half of everything to the poor. It could be that too. Both are so very costly. Luke teaches me that it matters. Luke teaches me that until I get my relationship with wealth and comfort right, Jesus is just an acquaintance I enjoy when I need a spiritual boost. There's a lot of tension in that statement, and the worst of it, I think, is found in the comfort 
and perceived security that wealth affords me. Most of the time, I am so very comfortable. I like being comfortable. When we moved to Murfreesboro 18 months ago, we started using the uh, Walmart pickup service where they get your groceries ready. You order them online, and then you just drive to the store and pick up your groceries. They put them in your car. You bring them home and put them away. That's all you have to do. It's been wonderful. We have loved that and become very spoiled to having our groceries picked up like that. Uh, But the week of Christmas, Shannon sent me over to pick up our uh, after Christmas uh, grocery order, and uh, I had to wait. I had to wait 20 minutes. I drove five minutes from my house and had to wait 20 minutes. I got so irritated that I was having to wait that when the young man came out with the groceries, I greeted him with one of these. And then I didn't even get out of the car and help him put the groceries in. That's what I'm supposed to do, Shannon says. And I didn't do that because I was just so frustrated. I got home and I said, Shannon, what in the world? I had to wait 20 minutes to get the groceries. It took them 20 minutes. There wasn't anybody there. It still took 20 minutes to get the groceries. She said, well, I have a new thing. It costs $98 plus tips, $98 a year plus tips, but they'll bring your groceries to your house. I said, sign us up today. I am not ever going back over there again. So she signed us up for the Walmart delivery service. Now they're bringing our groceries to our house. A couple of weeks ago, we got our first order like that. They brought the groceries to the house. They were supposed to leave them on the front porch. And then all we had to do, all we had to do was grab the bags and bring them in the house and put the groceries away. That first order arrived. The young man left everything on the front porch, rang the doorbell, and left. I opened the door and stood looking at the groceries. And the only thing I could think was, at least he could have organized them around what goes in the refrigerator, what goes in the pantry, and what goes in the household goods part of the house. I said that to Shannon. I said, oh, my goodness. At least he could have put them in cold and pantry and then bathroom type stuff instead of throwing them up here like a sack of potatoes. She pointed over and said, that is a sack of potatoes. What else was he supposed to do with it? (laughs) I am so comfortable. It's wonderful that we have access to these opportunities, but how quickly does our comfort become our God? Sin comes when our comfort wins out against God's call to leave that comfort so that we can go be uncomfortable with the poor and oppressed. It is in that discomfort where we meet God, discover God's call, and find the direction we so desperately need to live lives of impact and purpose for the sake of this gospel that will turn the world upside down so that it can be made whole again. But it is so very hard, especially for us who have learned to equate comfort and wealth with the blessing and favor of God. What do we do? I'm going to share three things to do that you might could do as the gospel works on you this week. The first thing is about our comfort. Think about the last time you were truly uncomfortable because you were trying to follow Jesus. What would it look like for that to be a daily experience? The second thing, and the most difficult for me, is to think about simplifying our busy, complicated lives so that we can more fully love God and neighbor. It could be a career change. It could be selling all the extra stuff that we spend more time managing than enjoying. It could be downsizing or 
a wholesale embracing of simplicity as a rule of life. See what God suggests to you, and then think about how much money and time you'd save living in that way. Now, how much fun would you have blessing people with your newfound abundance, helping with people in ministries that are moving in the direction of God's new creation? What can God build with your abundance? Simplicity creates space. Think about that as uh, you imagine a first step in that direction. I'm going to do the same. Finally, the third thing is to cultivate a clear-eyed understanding of how very hard this work is. It takes time, energy, prayer, study, self-reflection, and accountability. Leaving behind our addiction to comfort and the security of wealth requires substantial changes in how we live. I think that these life groups we're working on will provide just the kind of support, love, and direction that we all need as we follow Jesus more closely in this new year. Here's the heart of the matter. Our wealth is a paradox that isn't going anywhere anytime soon. It and the comfort it brings are the greatest impediments to our walk with Jesus. But it can be one of the greatest tools for building God's new creation. The challenge is how we hold it. Do we hold it with tight fists and anxious hearts, or do we hold it in open hands, realizing that it all belongs to God, who is free to do with it as God chooses, realizing also that our true security and provision live in the heart of Jesus, not in our bank accounts or our jobs. Now, what Jesus says here in Luke 6 has tremendous implication for how we think society ought to work how we care for the poor, how we fight oppression and injustice, and, how we and what we allow as acceptable in our society. We could argue for years on end about how Jesus' teaching ought to be applied politically, economically, and socially, and we need to work through that because it does need to be applied politically, economically, and socially. But don't let all of that debate distract you from the fact that Jesus is also talking directly to you and to me, what we cannot argue about is our personal responsibility to hear the words of Jesus and live differently today because of them. I don't know about you, but I need lots of help with that. I say, let's gather ourselves into our life groups. Let's study the scriptures. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to move and let's follow Jesus on purpose, even when it's hard. Jesus doesn't promise us a life free from ambiguity and messiness, but he does call us to unambiguously follow him through this life. In so doing, we find the blessing of God and discover that it is a treasure held with an open hand. The poor and oppressed among us already know how to do that. We need to learn from them. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Thanks be to God. Amen.